Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now we find out whether Justin Marshall behaved himself in Tasmania. Rod Kayford joins us out of Australia. Rod, good afternoon. Welcome. Good morning to you, in fact. Uh, good, good afternoon. Good morning to you. Yeah. Now, look, I understand um, that you recently attended a birthday party of a very fine Australian <laughs> halfback, and Justin Marshall was there. And um, we haven't seen Justin in this part of the world for three or four weeks. Did he behave? Well, he certainly brought a different atmosphere to the little <laughs> gathering, didn't he? It was very, what, he, he, what, he brought intellect, intelligence, and New Zealand in a room full of Australians? Is that what you're saying, Rod? Exactly. All your viewers will know, know exactly that, that's what he brought. No, we had a, we had a great time. And one of, one of the great things I think that uh, all of us recognise about the game of rugby is that um, uh, you, build, you do build great, um, great friendships with people you play with. And you and you quite often build great friendships with people you play against because you respect them. Um, you've you've battled against them, and it was uh, yeah, we had a fantastic time with with our um, yeah, with a group of people who were all um, joined together by by a very um, good rugby player in the name of George Gregg. And it was a terrific fellow, as, as many of you know, and many of our viewers, uh, sorry, many of your listeners will have one or two opinions of George, and one will be, you know, he was a this horrible Australian halfback. It was very, very good. <laughs> but I think many people will recognise that he was also, um, you know, just a great competitor. And irrespective of um, your views on winning or losing, you, you recognise people who, who put everything out on the field. And what was great was having, you know, a, a variety of people from different sports who all did that sort of stuff. Justin made a very, very um, nice and endearing speech around his relationship with Georgia, the challenges they had from when they were very young men from the age of 19 to the end of their careers, and it was just fantastic to hear. Okay, Far, thanks for joining us, and you're very kind. You obviously didn't go into the finer details, which I really appreciate <laughs> on radio. Um, <laughs> and it's good to hear you've got your voice back too, uh, Champ. That's great. Um, mm. Hey, look, we'll crack straight into it, I guess. Uh, last night, um, Reds Waratahs. Uh, to be perfectly honest, not the result that I thought uh, was going to happen, but a very good performance from the Waratahs. Do you think they're sort of starting to find a little bit of rhythm? Yeah, the, the Waratahs um, started the year with this sort of philosophy as, you know, in the off-season, they said, we're going to make everybody bigger. We're going to be, you know, we're going to try to you know, bash other teams up. And they, they had this mentality going into the season. And I've seen that fail many, many, many times before. And what typically happens with a team who takes that approach is, you know, they do put on, they, they work hard in the gym. They don't spend a great deal of time on the rugby field, but they spend a lot of time in the gym. They get everybody three, four, five, six kilos heavier. And then what happens? They start playing rugby. Everybody gets injured because they're carrying weight that they're not accustomed to carrying. They also have the, you don't have the ability to, to play and haven't spent enough time on the field to consistently um, put performances together. The last 20 minutes of most games, they fall apart and they lose. And, and they've been through that cycle, and they're now starting to get enough rugby in their um, legs that they can compete for longer periods of time. They've got big bodies. They do have that. They've maintained that size. But the first half of the season was always going to be very tough for them, and, and they did have an 
inordinate number of injuries. They're now starting to find their feet a little bit. Obviously, they've won two on the trot. Um, but in saying that, you know, and, and Marshy, you know, sitting down and watching that game, it wasn't the highest quality game of rugby that I've ever seen in my life, to be honest. And if that's how, you know, they're, they're two of Australia's, let's call, call them out, you know, middle rung sides at the moment. Brumby's clearly the best team. These other two in the middle, but lots of Wallabies in those sides. But, but to be perfectly frank, I've watched that game. I thought it was a very low quality game, uh, low quality game of rugby. Um, the, the pace of it was, was very slow. These two teams are a long way off being a threat to this competition. That's a really interesting, Kafe. So let's break that down. Do you think this is the stereotypical mindset that we're having now because of what's happening in Europe and the UK of basically breeding bigger men and, and getting bigger loose forwards, you know, bigger centres, even big outside backs, but it's basically gravitating away from what your strength in the game is. You know, Australian rugby has always been about speed, you know, keeping the ball in play, skill set, players, you know, with with footwork. But now there seems to be this mindset of getting bigger. Do you think that's what's happening or this is just uh, a, just a, a trend that, um, uh, that the Waratahs have gone through? Well, I think it's certainly particular for the Waratahs. Um, but, and and I'm, I'm, I know that it's... Mm, Eddie Jones, as Eddie, Eddie as the Wallaby coach, will, will have his own view on those sort of things. The one thing I think, you know, certainly I know Eddie recognises is that, um, you know, we, we we do go through these trends in the game. One of the one of the real obvious trends at the moment is small players in the outside backs are actually doing very very well. You know, we've got a lot of small wingers around the world who are fantastic players who are who bring a point of difference. So we've sort of moved away from a model of you know massive big wingers. Now we're sort of moving down to very small outside back, and we see that in both European rugby and in the best of Southern Hemisphere rugby, whether it's um, you know the Springbok Springbok back three or, or the All Black at times back three, where you can pick very small players, and some of the players who are playing very well, like Damian McKenzie and others, you know, who have for a long period of time, and then we might even describe you know Bodie Barrett as being a smaller player as an example, even though he's not, but he can play like a small player. You know, these fast, great footwork, you know, intelligent players who play on the, the outside backs, they're, I think, very important in the game at the moment. But, but equally, you've, all, you've always got to have, uh, you, know, a, a big, um, you know, a big balanced back row and, and, and guys who can carry. And, and the game has become a, a game that needs game line carry, and it's been like that for the last 10 years. So, so you have to develop players with size and, and power, and I think from a Wallaby perspective, I suspect Eddie will go down a power um, route. That's always been his mantra to find players who are powerful, who can get across the game line, who have skills. Power and skill is what he's after. Mm. He's not after he's not after just big guys for the sake of big guys. He wants guys who can pass the ball, use the ball, play the ball. That's always been his game. Yeah, right. And a question for you too, Justin. Look, I remember doing an interview some years back with a South African correspondent, and this is when New Zealand very much had the measure over South Africa there for a while. And he said, look, the difference between South African rugby and what you see in Australia and New Zealand is that we tend to develop the skill set from a young age and then build the player. In South Africa, they tend to build the player and then try and develop the skill set. 
is there a danger under this mentality of seeing what the Northern Hemisphere are doing, the fact that we need to keep up, that we could end up adopting that South African model? I think part of the reason why Auckland rugby has failed a little bit is because through school rugby we tend to, it's almost a stepping stone, and what we tend to happen with the Pacific Island community particularly is that we tend to get the bigger kids coming through. And yes, it's size that gets them through schoolboy level, it's size that gets them recognised, but it's ultimately for those reasons that perhaps they end up being a little bit one-dimensional. I mean, where's the balance going forward? Uh, Mark, that's, that's a, look, I want to, I'll, I'll answer that, Marshy, first, and I'll say that's an excellent um, assessment, I think, of rugby where, where we have these um, you know, big Polynesian communities who play, play our beautiful game and are fantastic at it. Um, and what we tend to see, and I think we all know this, there are, there are you know, young, young um, very talented um, young players who are who are bigger than everybody else when they're younger, irrespective of you know where the heritage is. But the big kids often are the ones who then get talent ID'd. They stay in the program. They've never really had to develop t- too much of of those um, other skills, perhaps in the game. And I can relate this to not just that as a, as a as a phenomenon, which is very true, and I think everybody will recognise that, but. The second thing that can happen here in Australian rugby, and one of our downfalls, is that a, a lot of our players come out of, um, you know, what uh, our private school system, um, and 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 I can tell you, and having having you know living now in Sydney, coming from Canberra, which was a very much back in the day, a bit of a backward place. When I say backward, not really, but uh, well, maybe a little bit marshy, but um, <laughs> it was a place that that people <clears throat> coming out of there really had an attitude about how they wanted to compete against their um, their Sydney rivals or the New South Wales or Waratah rivals because, you know, there was a there's, a, there's an element of rugby in, in Sydney in, in, in Australia, which is that, you know, silver spoon rugby where they come out of these sort of privileged environments and, and very safe and um, affluent areas of, of Sydney. Um, and we still in many ways see that today where there are, these guys who come into our program who've never really had to battle too much for anything in their life. And I'll be being unfair to many, but they haven't had the tough struggle. They haven't come from the tough streets. And what what I've seen is when those kids get talent ID'd young and they're on this, you know, silver carpet ride or this, you know, this, this golden carpet ride that just keeps them going through the system and they end up playing professional sport and everything's great. These kids have never really had to battle too much. And when they come up against guys who've come out of different environments and, 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 and whether that's, you know, um, guys who've played in, in a New Zealand program for all of their life and have been bashed since the very young age, it's been tough and hard and grinding and gritty sort of rugby, which, which you can get in some of those tough environments. When they come up against, you know, players of that caliber, it is, incredibly um it's an incredibly um difficult environment for many of the australian teams to really find the deep down desire to keep going and to keep fighting um whereas in other cultures in other places that can be um uh, you know just the way everybody responds we don't see a lot of that here so we've got two problems we identify players who are just big and good when they're young and we put the money into those and we forget the little kid in a backwards sort of place who never had the tra- you know the coaching or the training or the the benefit of being in a private school which is a prof- you know almost a professionally run program and by the time they get to 18 or 19 they've actually reached all of their potential there's none- nothing left whereas we get these kids who slip through the system who could be unbelievable if someone just gave them 
a little bit of coaching and a little bit of time, and we miss a lot of those kids. So we're not we're not capturing um, all of the great players who could potentially come through our system here in Australia. That's a very long winded answer to a very good question. No, keen to get uh, Just, totally keen to get agree. Justin's thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I, t- I totally I totally agree on, on all you've said, and I think we've probably got more of a problem here in New Zealand than what um, Australia has and, and all of your points are very valid and it's an area we have to work really hard at to make sure all talent is identified regardless of its size. Um, probably the one area that I would say if I was going technical orientated to, to look into it to try and give the listeners a bit of an idea of what we're talking about, skills as opposed to strength. I, I, I watch uh, a, a lot of rugby obviously and commentate on it and involved in it and I see a lot of a lot of time the modern day player looking um, to seek contact, and they look to seek contact to then get a pass away, and and then the common sense in rugby is to to draw a defender in and then distribute the ball to a player in space and then stay on your feet, um, and that's the way that you can actually create a lot of havoc. Whereas these guys, a lot of guys are going straight to contact and are looking for a miraculous uh, offload to try and keep the play going and. To me, that's just the mindset of being big and strong and being able to do that. But when you come up against good defence, like genuine overlaps and the ability to pass before contact and then stay on your feet and support and then get a pass back, it's kind of going out of the game a little bit. And if people want to get an idea of a player to watch who still retains the ability to do that, keep an eye on Will Jordan. He's, he, he pretty much runs most of the time with the ball in two hands unless he's made a line break. And that... There's a rare, rare skill nowadays that people uh, from from you know where the, the the game started don't adopt. You know, a lot of people just carry it in one arm now and looking for a miraculous offload. Will Jordan will take on defenders with the ball in two hands. So just watch the way he plays, and you'll see a guy with silky skills and doing the things that a skillful player should be doing, not using physicality to do it. Okay, hey Rod and Justin, it's just on this because I think it's a really good conversation. One of my biggest criticisms, and look, I was lucky enough to do the first two years of College First 15 Rugby on Sky with Ken Laban and Keith Quinn, and it started with the best interests of celebrating schoolboy rugby, the purity of it, the history and the tradition. But it's become a bit of an arms race, and the Auckland schools have now pulled out of it, and I see Sky actually having any First 15 games scheduled. But I think one of the other things that came out of it is, and I heard you, Rod, talking about the private school system and the kids that come out of that. And the problem with schoolboy rugby here, particularly in Auckland, it's become the stepping stone to higher honours. And we've just talked about the fact that often the big kids are the ones that tend to get pushed through. And I think it's important, maybe we need to start broadcasting senior club rugby here because club rugby then takes the size issue out of it. And club rugby at the moment, I think, is starting to die in this country. We've seen more clubs amalgamate. um, And I think that's where the emphasis has got to go. It's got to be, that's got to be the stepping stone to higher honours, not schoolboy rugby. I mean, you've got the shoot shield in Australia. I mean, where does club rugby sit in in the pathway for Wallaby and Australian rugby? Or is it schoolboy the stepping stone? I think we, you know, both countries, yours and ours, we, we have that exact same challenge. It's, and it's, it's a very real challenge, as you just described, um, that we do see kids going straight from, straight from being at school into professional rugby, and they just miss that whole... Um, middle step, uh, the Shoot Shield and the other, and, and what's called the Hospital Cup in Brisbane and the, the, the Ident Cup in Canberra are probably the three um, uh, preeminent um, uh, club competitions. Um, the, the, there's been a resurgence um, in the popularity of um, club rugby, which has been great over the last 
you know, five or six years or so, that club rugby has, you know, really come back and is seen now as, as part of that um, pathway. And, and I think it's this, it's this balance, isn't it, between professional rugby needs to do something, amateur rugby needs to be retained. I mean, our game predominantly, the, the game of rugby has its roots in clubs and schools. That's, that's in every, in every um, rugby community around the world and, and, and every union around the world. It's clubs and schools that generate um, rugby and that's, that's where it lives. Uh, and I think, you know, at times we've really either supported club rugby or not and at other times we've supported school rugby or not, certainly in this country. Um, what we have to find, and, and sometimes... Um, it's been professional rugby that's been supported at the expense of what we would all consider to be our foundation, um, which we understand. It's a balancing act between the two. And getting it right is actually the right... There's no right answer to it, except when you get it right, you build a great foundation and you have a great professional um, rugby team. And, and that's what you need to find the balance between those two things. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem without a solution, but, it, but it's certainly something that all countries need to be, I think, in my mind, very um, cognizant of. Yeah, I think it's very valid that we need to work very hard at our game underneath the professional environment in both countries, and I think the game is suffering in that regard. But we can we can recover, and it's just about putting the time and effort into it. Um, just a final question. Uh, what, Rod, uh, I'll just rub this in. The Brumbies, two visits to New Zealand, two losses. Uh, they've got the Rebels today. Is that a banana skin game? And does it worry you that the Brumbies can't win in New Zealand if they were to make the finals? Uh, Marshall, you and I both know uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're good enough to get in the finals, <laughs> you've got a chance to win. I watched that Crusaders team win the first three of their titles away from home, which was pretty remarkable. And I do recall... Uh, getting beaten on a very cold day in 2000 by <laughs> your side and also having a beer with you afterwards, which was very nice. Way back very when. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the thing about the Brumbies, the Brumbies are probably, when, when I look across our teams, and, and you know, I'm also proud to say it and biased about it, but the Brumbies, the Brumbies have a game that can compete with New Zealand teams and probably genuinely the only, there's only one Australian team who could compete at all with New Zealand sides, and that would be the Brumbies, because they've got the elements of a game that you need to compete with um, with with good opposition. And you know they, they have a very you know as, as I think we'll recognise they've got a fantastic um, set piece, very good set piece. You know as, as good as anyone going around both line out, scrum, and more. Um, and more's probably you know like the Crusaders, Maul has been over the years, you know probably one of the best in the competition for, for a long period of time. But they're also in, incredibly competitive on the ground, and the game of rugby, is, as you, you quite rightly pointed out, everybody, you know, many players are looking for contact. So the game of rugby sort of lives and breathes by your ability to retain your ball on the ground, or to get the opposition's ball. Um, New Zealand teams are, are, are typically, you know, good teams are very good on the ground. The Brumbies are very good on the ground. They're good at retaining their ball. They're very aggressive at the breakdown. I think when they played the Crusaders back a few weeks ago um, in, in Christchurch. You know, it was a real battle of the floor, and in the end, of course, you know, Brumbies left a few blokes behind, but they performed pretty well. They they did, you know, they obviously beat the Blues here in Australia. They lost over, they lost, um, you know, last weekend. But I think they are a team who could go with anybody in the competition. They're a genuine threat to the competition. I, I don't think they're as good as the top end of, you know, certainly, you know, we've got some New Zealand sides who are playing very, very well, two or three of them playing very well. Um, and the Brumbies on their day could 
could compete with any of those. Um, but, but again, um, it's about you know the balance that they have within their team, which is you know excellent set piece, excellent work on the floor, and then a very functional and good and a good backline that wants to use space. Steve Larkham, who's now taken over as coach, has really developed the team and taken them to a to a new level in my mind, which. It doesn't come as a surprise necessarily. I'm really pleased that he was able to do that because when he coached previously at Brumbies, he probably didn't have that ability to get them to the next level. He went away to, to, to Munster, spent three years coaching in Munster, learned a lot out of the Irish system, has come back now, and has actually brought a lot to the team. It could be a banana skin game for them today, Marshy, because it's always difficult, but they've got a, they've got a very good mindset, the Brumbies. They're, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic program. It's It's like the what the Crusaders program has been to New Zealand rugby, the Brumbies program hopefully will continue to be to Australian rugby. People recognise it as the best program. You go there, you turn out better players, and they do perform at not just super rugby level, but then at a wallaby level. So um, I'm looking forward to today's game. It, it, it should be good. Rod Kay, for being a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for your time this afternoon here. Thoroughly enjoyed it.